do a couple things before we <clears throat> jump right into our, into our message today. And as Selah already talked about, this will lead into our time of communion together. But I want to give you an update on just some of the things that are occurring around here. You're aware of that November 7th, we're making our change uh, to where we're going to begin worship just a little bit earlier. And that's going to be preceded by a time of fellowship with some uh, coffee and some donuts available. We're bringing that stuff back. And so really want you to be here to be a part of that, as well as uh, all of our second hour opportunities that we're going to have then. Also, because we are experiencing growth and need to find more classroom space, we're starting to get more and more creative. We've already made some moves. Uh, Youth ministry is now meeting down here in the video venue. So if you haven't experienced that yet, or your student hasn't experienced that yet, I'm going to encourage you to be a part of that. We're also looking for ways to make um, more use of the facilities that we have, such as our gym. And so we have already made plans to create two spaces out of the gym with the use of a big curtain. Now, this is not a curtain like you would see in your house. It's more of a athletic kind of curtain. This is a proximity of what it's going to look like. The one that the particular one that we're going to have installed is going to be solid most of the way up with the mesh coming only at the uh, only near the, near the top. But we've already got some plans to that, and all that's because we are committed to creating spaces for people and opportunities to connect with. And so if you haven't taken advantage of one of our second hour opportunities, I would definitely encourage you to do that. As we dive into the message today, first of all, we have... We've been using these uh, scripture journals, and if you don't have one yet and you're present, we ran out last week, and in fact, we had ordered some, but they sent the wrong book of the Bible to us. And so these are now available. You can grab one out in the foyer if, you, if you're here, and you're not going to bother me if you want to run out there right now and grab one if you don't have one yet. would love for you to participate and track along with this series. And if you're watching uh, through the live stream, you want to come by the office sometime this week, we have these back in stock and we're ready to, ready to share them with you. One of the things, as we've been in this series, um, we're looking at a beginner's guide to church. And one of my contentions is, is that the fact that we've all experienced this un- upheaval that was 2020 and now into 2021, coming back to church We've got to be honest, we're all beginners at this again. And so we're looking to this letter that Paul wrote so many years ago in the first century. And I'm going to go ahead and jump to my thesis statement is that we're living in a century that now greater resembles the first century than any intervening century in between. And so with a fresh voice, this letter is going to speak to us because the dynamics are so similar. And we're going to dive into that today. But one of the first things that we encountered in this letter was a call for unity and let there be no division among us. And myself and the shepherds, we've taken this really seriously. And so one thing that we've committed as a way to put this letter into practice is to be praying for other churches Because remember, other churches are not in competition with us. We're not in competition with them. We believe that Jesus is Lord. And this is his church. And the one that we are in competition with is the evil one. He goes by different names. Satan, the devil, 
the evil one that wants to wreak havoc in our world. And so we're committed to praying for these other churches. A week ago, I asked you to pray for Roy Rhodes and the Impact Church. Well, this week, I'm inviting you, and I'm going to pray for Christopher Stevens, who is the minister at the Avenue G Church. Many of you already know him and his family. And if nothing else, uh, this is his beautiful, precious family. He's got four daughters. You know that man needs prayer. Okay? Not only is he trying to lead a church, he's trying to have some sense of sanity in his own home. He suffers from estrogen poisoning, so we're going to pray, pray for him in many, many ways. But I'm going to invite you to pray for him also during this week, and I want you to reach out and encourage him. And so I, this is his Facebook URL, facebook.com, bro Stevens there. And so if you'll make a note of that, you can find him on Facebook. He's very active in social media. And so this week, sometime, if you would, send him an encouragement note, just a message through Messenger, however you get there, and let him know that you're praying for him as well. That would do incredible wonders for him, and what a blessing. So let's pray for him now, if you would. Heavenly Father, I come before you on behalf of my friend, my co-minister in the gospel, a brother that I respect in so many ways. And the minister that he is, the husband that he is, the father that he is, I pray for Christopher Stevens. I pray for Chris as he leads his family. I pray for Chris as he preaches the word. I pray for Chris as he serves the church and the community. Father, I pray for the Avenue G Church and ask that you would um, make her a mighty voice in this community. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden and a light to the dark world. Father, I ask that you would bless her with um, people and resources and wisdom and heart and passion and all the things that I know that you want to give so generously to it, Father. And I ask for your blessing to rest on them in a powerful way, in a powerful way and in particularly a powerful way this week, Father. It's all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for participating with that. If you have your Bibles or your Scripture journals, open to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you're in the Scripture journal, that's going to be on page 10. If you have an app, I want you to encourage you to open that. Something where you can follow along because there's going to be some things that I'm going to want you to identify as we go through this. Last week, Paul talked about this idea of wisdom. And the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God. And he continues with that. And the reason that I think he sticks with this subject so long is because we need to hear about this. I just said that we are very similar in our dynamics in our culture to the first century. One of the ways that I believe that it's almost as if the ink is still drying on the letter that Paul wrote is because the first century church was pursuing, the first century culture, I'm saying, was pursuing and hungry for wisdom. At this time in the first century, there had been an explosion of knowledge. And scholarship was coming into being. And the way, libraries were being built. And universities were coming in to their existence, the earliest versions of those. And so there was knowledge everywhere to be found. And what they became hungry for was not just the facts, but for 
wisdom. Well, we're living in a similar time. The internet has created an explosion of knowledge. The average elementary school student has access to the knowledge of history. Now, we spend more time on TikTok, but that's okay. We're, we have an incredible amount of knowledge at our fingertips. It's on our phones. We can reach it anywhere. And yet, what the world is crying out for today, and I know especially in the emerging generations, is, but where's the wisdom? Who can we trust? Where do we find something that is authentic and we can stake our lives on? Because we can learn anything. We can Google a YouTube video and learn how to do anything, but we still need something that we can trust, and we're hungry for that. So what the first century did is they, they began to pursue different philosophers. And it was out of this, this time right before and right after Christ, when all the great philosophies started emerging. And all of these, these teachings and these sources of wisdom, and some of them would debate against each other, and so the, the, Socrates, the Socratic method came into being. And all these different ways that they were so hungry for wisdom. And today, we pursue it just the same way. Some go do some research and reach back to the old philosophers, but many, it's just a Google search for your favorite political commentator now and for your, the news channel that you want to be a part of. But we're still hungry for that idea of wisdom, and so we're seeking it, and we're seeking it, and we're seeking it. And most of our attempts leave us still hungry, don't we? That you may have be wrestling with something, you've sought wisdom, you've sought counsel, you've Googled it, you've read blogs, you've watched videos, and you're still wondering, is this the right way to perceive it? Is this the right path forward? Is this the right way to think about the world? And so Paul is going to speak right to that today. So he's speaking to a culture just like ours that's hungry for wisdom, they want, to, they want to know what can be trusted, that when everything else blows away, when everything else dries up under the sun, what's left standing? And here's what Paul's going to do. Because remember, Paul is talking to this church, and he's about to give them a key. He's about to give them an a insight that he's going to base the entire rest of the letter on. Everything else that he's going to talk to him, he's going to get into some very practical things. And if you hang with us through the series, we're going to get to some very practical where the life meets the road kind of stuff. But what Paul's doing is he's setting up what he's going to base everything else on. Remember last week we said the cross is not something you just look at, but it's a lens through which you look through. Well, he's about to reinforce that lens. So first five verses say this. It says, And I, this is Paul talking, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Now, he's already setting himself up and against the philosophers of the day. This is the age in which rhetoric and speech really, this is kind of the golden age of it. And so if you're going to have any 
any um, substance, if you're going to have any validity, if people were going to trust you, you didn't do it with a clean-looking website. You did it with your rhetoric, with the way that you were persuasive in an argument. And so Paul is saying, I know what you're looking for. You're looking for some smooth talkers. You're looking for some guys that give it to you in the bullet points. The ones that make the great slogans that can communicate in just a meme right across. So it all comes in a short, pithy statement. And Paul says, I didn't come to you that way. So Paul is saying, I'm not even going to use the structure of the day to deliver this wisdom. Because this wisdom exists beyond and above and outside of. It's not limited to any single structure or technique. It's a gospel that is broader and it's for all time and the whole world. And so he says, I didn't come to you with the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Then verse 2, and here's the key one. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What is Paul saying? Well, one, what Paul's saying is if you had listened to him as a preacher, you probably wouldn't have hired him. As a preacher, he, he was not making the circuit as look at all the incredible speakers we have. We've got Paul headlining it. If you read other letters, Paul talks about his presence, and we're not really sure what was going on with Paul as far as his health, but something was struggling with his health. And so when Paul showed up, it was either something with his eyes or perhaps something with his stomach and his digestive system. But when he showed up in places, it appeared like he was sick and he was weak. And we don't like our sources of wisdom to come across as weak, do we? We, we, we don't want them to be timid. We want them to be bold. We want them to be forceful. And yet, in the moment of delivering this message, there's something about Paul where he's just not striking at all. And perhaps he's a little off-putting in his presence. And so people are looking at him, they're listening to him, and they're seeing the great philosophers, they're seeing the great um, guys giving the incredible speeches and the rhetoric that's going on, and to them they go, wow, and to Paul they go, eh. And so what he's saying is, I came to you with a message that in the message itself was all the power required. It didn't require my volume. It didn't require my pounding around on the stage. It didn't require me to put together clever sayings. It didn't require my presentation because the power was in the message. Now you understand how this wisdom they're talking about is that conflict with the culture. Because everybody else was looking for the signs. They're looking for the signs of power. They're looking for signs of, of intelligence, the signs of wisdom, the signs of success, the signs of upward mobility, something that they could latch their wagon to and take them someplace. 
And Paul says, I came to you in weakness. And what he delivers in verse 2, and if you've got the journals, I want you to underline them or I want you to highlight in your app. Verse 2 is the verse that everything else is going to hinge on in 1 Corinthians. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, let's just pause on that sense right there. Because for many of us, especially if you've grown up in the church, you're very familiar with this verse already. This is not the first time you've heard it. It may be if you haven't grown up in church, and that's okay, that's great, I'm glad you're here. But for those of us that have, a couple of things are at play in this verse. We hear the phrase, Jesus Christ, so often that we think it's his first and his last name. It's not Mr. Christ. Jesus Christ is a name, his very common, um, everyday name. It, it would have been translated more closely to Yeshua or Joshua. Uh, I mean, it was just an average, everyday name. I mean, it was like Scott, okay? But he gets a title with it, Christ. That's where we get Jesus Christ. It's a title. Now, if you're Jewish, what you actually see in that title, you hear the word Messiah. The one that you had been hoping for. The one that you had been waiting on and praying for. The one that was going to come and make it all right and all better. If you're not Jewish, as most of us aren't, and the same word is translated anointed one, what the Greek mindset and the other readers in Paul's letter would have heard is they would have heard king, king and Messiah. See, this is why Paul earlier talked about to the Jewish person, this is scandal because you're talking about a crucified Messiah. The one that God sent, the one that he chose, the one that's going to make it all right, that person, is going to, that prophet that man of God, that one that's going to be the one that heals and restores all the nation, makes everything in the way that we'd hoped and prayed since the beginning of time, he's going to be executed in a brutal way? Or if you're Greek, you hear king. And so now you're thinking, I came to know nothing but you, but this king that was crucified. This king that was executed. And Kings that are executed did not go on to have big kingdoms, is the mindset. And so Paul is saying, there's a message here that the one that was Messiah and the one that is king was crucified. And he says, that goes against everything that the world thinks and claims. He goes on. He talks about how awkward this is and how strange this is. He says this. I'm going to just skip to verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Yeah, if, if you understood that that was the Messiah and that was the king, you don't put him on a cross. But as is written, What no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Now, here's what I want you to do. Because I want you to have your pens out. I want you to have your app ready. 
Every time it refers to the Spirit of God, I want you to make a mark. I want you to circle it, highlight it, whatever. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. God is saying, Paul is saying, on behalf of God, that for those of us that have followed Jesus, we have come into a relationship with the Spirit, and the Spirit is going to be the source of wisdom now. It will be our Google search from here on out. It will be the one that we can rely on and trust. And it will be, in a supernatural way, will be instructing us and guiding us and giving us counsel as we go through life. Because it's all going to be sourced in this statement, Jesus Christ crucified. And this, the Spirit is going to to guide us in that. So this is not simply a journey where I'm going to go at it by myself. And with my own reason, I've got to figure it out all on my own. But be guided in that. And so this is part of that promise where Jesus says, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. And even in this pursuit of wisdom, the one that's been promised, the comforter, the advocate is going to come both alongside us and in us. And guide us in this way. So we've got three takeaways that I want you to, to walk away with this from today. And I want you to wrestle with these as you go out through the week. First takeaway is this. Wisdom begins at the cross. True wisdom is going to begin at the cross. Now, as we go through 1 Corinthians, you're going to find that it begins at the cross. And it's fulfilled in the resurrection. But that's coming. Paul wants you to know right now, wisdom begins at the cross. When we look at the crucified king, the crucified Messiah, that begins to redefine everything else of how we look at the world. We said last week, we don't just look at the cross, we look through the cross to see the rest of the world. And so in our world where wisdom is so hotly debated right now, and all of these issues seem to be in conflict, and you've got this side and that side, And it seems to break out along political lines. It seems to break out along economic lines. It seems to break out in all the different ways that we can possibly be fractured. We're fractured and we're fighting. Where's wisdom in the middle of that? And I'm going to tell you that it begins at the cross. And so as we start thinking about issues that we face, as we think about what does it mean to be successful in this world, we don't look at the top of the Fortune 500 list for our definition. We look to the king that was crucified on the cross. And we let that define it. When we think about power and how we use and leverage and gain power. See, that, that's something the world's going to tell you, pursue power. And yet the way that we pursue power is we look at the one, the king, that pursued power by being crucified on the cross. You see how it begins to flip everything upside down? 
It gets real practical when you start thinking about your relationships. And how should I go about forgiving those that have wronged me? Well, if wisdom begins at the cross, then I need to look at the one that went there, was wronged by all of us, and forgave. One of the most heated debates in our world today is where does your identity come from? And so much the world wants to say it comes from your sexual choices. That sexual identity is that which identifies you. That's the one that should define you the most. And we're going to get in some real specific ways into a lot of the sexual chaos that we're living in right now. But let me just give you the beginning point. Wisdom begins at the cross. Paul would come to say, and he'd speak into our culture today, just like he speaks into the first century when he said, your identity is found there, not in some other place. Wisdom begins at the cross. You're defined by the one that says, I'm your king, I'm your Messiah, and I lay down my life for you. That's how we begin to determine value and worth. Second thing is this. Second takeaway is this. The first step in wisdom, submission to the Spirit. The first step in wisdom is you submit to the Spirit. If you notice, in that whole conversation, Paul's going back and forth, back and forth, saying, saying there's a natural wisdom out there in the world, and there's a spiritual wisdom. And it takes spiritual people to understand the spiritual wisdom. And so this is one of those places in your world and in your life, what you do is you submit and then you begin to grow and understand. You, it is not possible to have it all figured out from the outside. Because there is a sense of what you need to experience. This is like, if, if you've ever gone through an incredible experience, if you, you went on just the perfect vacation, and, and maybe it was to a theme park, maybe it was to up in the mountains or whatever, and it's like you discovered something, and then you come back from it, and you've had this incredible experience, and then you're trying to tell somebody else, and you want them to go with you the next time, and you're talking to them, and you're like, you just have to go to understand. You know, I guess you just had to be there. That's what the Spirit's saying. That the first step, not the last step, not the only step, but the first step is begin to submit to the Spirit and what God is calling to, even if you disagree with it, but you submit, you begin to apply God's wisdom in your life, and now you'll start to see what wisdom is. Third one's this. The cross calls us to ask the question, what does love require? We serve the Christ that was crucified, the same Jesus that says, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. And then he goes on to display that in the cross. And so, as we walk in our broken and fractured world, a question for us as believers and followers and is the church is to always be asking, but what does the cross require of me? What does love require of me? Because that's our invitation. And so what Paul did not do is he did not show up with fancy arguments. But he says it was demonstrated 
through the power of the message. What's he mean? It was demonstrated through love. It was demonstrated through sacrifice and through caring. This does not mean that we don't take stands on stuff. I'm not suggesting that at all. But it does change how we take a stand. And it does stand how we value other people and what we see. So what does love require? If you'll ask this question, this will radically change your relationships. So radically change your parenting. So radically change your dating life. This will radically change your marriage. So radically change how you interact with people at work. This will definitely change how do you interact with people that just get under your skin and on your nerves. A Randy Harris is a professor that's now retiring from Abilene Christian University, but I had the opportunity to hear many of his lectures, many of his, his sermons. But in one of them, he shared a story that I've never forgotten. And it wasn't really his story. He was sharing it on behalf of somebody else, and it was about a youth minister that he knew. And this was a young youth minister, and he was working with his youth group, and he was trying to be faithful to what God was teaching him. And he had one of his students came to him in the youth ministry, came to him, and the student had a problem. He was being bullied. And so he's looking for what? He's looking for wisdom. And so he gets with the youth minister, and the youth minister did something that should seem natural, but I think it's actually very radical. The youth minister, instead of just trying to answer his question or make it all go away or suddenly dismiss the, the concern, he said, let's look to Scripture together. And they begin to read together the life and ministry of Jesus in the Gospels. And they were working through this, and they came to the crucifixion. And the student began, perhaps maybe for the first time, I'm not sure, began to understand what it was like that Jesus experienced this death on the cross for somebody else's sake. And the youth minister, after they spent some time together trying to find what would Jesus do and how would Jesus respond and what would Jesus say in the moment of this, he asked the student, well, what do you think? What's what's going on? He said, you know, I think I can go back to school now. He says, okay, what will you do? He says, were you going to stand up to them? He goes, I don't know if I'll stand up to them, but I do know that as long as they're picking on me, they're not picking on somebody else. And if that's the way that I can lay down my life, that's what I'll do. There's some wisdom there. I came to not know anything else among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The one that we serve laid down His life on behalf of others. Wisdom begins with us laying down our life on behalf of others. The times in my life when I've needed some wise counsel and I was thinking about this this week, it seems like that wise counsel always came around food. It's breakfast tacos with Larry Matthews. It's a lunch with one of our shepherds. It's the time that Jim Martin, who was the, at the time the minister up at Crestview in Waco, 
He calls me out of the blue and says, Scott, I'd like to get to know you. Can we have barbecue together? That's all the excuse I needed. But I can remember each of those times so clearly around a meal, and it had nothing to do with the actual food between us, but it had everything to do with the presence of the person that I was with. This is why we experience the Lord's Supper every single week, because we need to fixate on that presence one more time. So we're about to share, and so if you're at home, I hope you have the elements ready. If you're here, I hope you have the elements we've provided ready. But as we go into this, I want to give you two questions. And here's what I want you to think about and wrestle with as we have this time, as you have this meal with the one that is wisdom. Question number one is this. Where are you seeking wisdom right now? What are the sources that you tend to go to right now to validate or interpret where you think you should go in the world? And question number two, maybe this is more for you. What issue are you facing right now for which you need wise counsel? So we're going to create a moment here where you can sit down with the one that is wisdom and seek it from him. If you would, let's pray together for the cup. I mean, sorry, for the bread. Heavenly Father, you went to a cross, and in that you showed us what wisdom is. So, Father, whatever we wrestle with now, may we bring before you. And through the cross, you give us wise counsel. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.